Bibles this morning and turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is where we began our series on the gospel of Jesus Christ, in which we are doing in this short series just an overview of the amazing gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you please join me in a word of prayer? In this series that uh, we began just two weeks ago, we are looking at the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the introduction, I listed just several things that were true about the gospel as we think about the gospel. That it is, first of all, it is good news. That's what the word gospel means, good news. We all like good news. This gospel is a message uh, that is otherworldly. It is not a message that has arisen here from us. It is a a message that has come down to us from heaven, from God himself. It is a Christ's cross-centered message. And so today I would like us to consider the bad news behind the good news. All right, so if gospel means good news, which it does, someone that spoke a good message was a herald, and he brought a message of good news, and this is the word gospel, and so if the gospel is good news, then it begs the question, what is the bad news? What is the bad news? And why is the good news good news? And we will only appreciate and understand the good news, unless we really understand the bad news, right? And so today we want to look at the bad news behind the good news. Because really, if you do not know the bad news, then the gospel will never, ever be good news to you. And it's only to those who have come to seriously consider the bad news and the ramifications for their own life that they will ever appreciate the good news and come to believe in that good news. And so today, again, we want to consider the bad news behind the good news. And the same Bible that presents to us the good news of Jesus Christ, the Savior, It's the same Bible that reveals to us the bad news and why we need such a Savior. So we want to begin here in where we began this series, and it's in 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul is writing, and he is speaking about this gospel that he has declared to the Corinthian believers when he came to Corinth and he preached the gospel to them. It is a message that he himself had received. It wasn't his message. He's just like the waiter bringing the food from the kitchen to the table. He's just the messenger. He's received this. He's received it from the Lord. And this is the message in which he says you stand, this gospel in which you stand, verse 2, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you have believed in vain. And then when we get to chapter, verse 3, Paul speaks about, the gospel, which is Christ cross-centered. He's going to speak about the fact that Christ died, that Christ was buried, 
that Christ was raised from the dead, and that's the significant part of this chapter. There were those that were saying there is no resurrection from the dead. And Paul wants to make the point that, yes, there is a resurrection, and first and foremost, Jesus has been raised from the dead. And so he speaks about these historic redemptive events concerning Christ. He has died, he is buried, he has been raised again, and we know he's ascended above at the right hand of the Father. But notice right in the midst of these things related to the work of Christ, why it is that he died, why it is that he was buried, and why it is that he was raised again. What's the reason for that? Notice what it says in verse 3, couched right in the middle of this. I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our what? Our sins. Christ died for our sins. Just a little word, isn't it? Just a small little word. But this is the essence of the bad news, that Christ has come into this world and the reason is our sins. And we will only understand good news until we understand the reality of this bad news that we want to speak about today. It's just a little word, but what trouble it has brought to our world and to our lives. That little word, sin. It's a little bigger word in the Greek word, in the Greek New Testament. It's the word from which we have a study of theology, it's harmartiology, which is the doctrine of sin. That's a huge, huge topic that we could spend weeks on, but we're going to just do one message on it today. And the word sin is a word that means to miss the mark. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Hebrew and the Greek, it means to miss the mark. And we find this word interestingly used in the book of Judges when the Benjamites were gathering their people together and there was this really civil civil strife with the other Israelites. And they were amassing their people together. And as it speaks there, it says that they uh, gathered together uh, their fighters and there were over 27,000 that joined together And it makes an interesting comment that in the midst of these 27,000 soldiers, there were 700 men that were among them. And it says this in verse 16. They were marksmen with a sling. It says that they were left-handed and they could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. Now, if you ever shot a slingshot, you know that's, that's not an easy thing. And these weren't the kind with rubber bands that we got. These were two long uh, strands with a pocket on the end, and you put a stone in there, and you would sling that around your head like David did. You'd let go of one end of it, and that stone would go forth, just like David's did, and it brought down Goliath. Well, here were 700 man, men. They were left-handed. And they could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. It's pretty amazing. I know some of you here like to go to Target World. Some of you guys here at Bible Chapel, you're pretty good, men and women. You're pretty good at hitting the target. But I I dare say probably most of you couldn't hit that hair every time and not miss. 
Well, the word that is used there, they could sling this stone at a hair and not miss, is the word that is also translated sin. They could, they could sling a stone and not sin, not miss the target, not fall short. And that's the idea of this word sin. It is the idea of to miss, to miss the target, to fall short. It's the word that is used in Psalm 51 that Daniel read for us. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, from my falling short, from my missing the mark. And this is what Paul says in Romans 3.23 about all of us here today. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have fallen short. We have missed the mark. We have sinned. We have not hit the target. We have not kept the holy law of God. We are guilty. Now, when we talk about missing the mark, there's two ways that you can miss the mark. There are two ways that you can sin. The first is this, and it it comes from the catechism that kind of summarizes this, and it asks this question, what is sin? What is sin? And the answer is that sin is any lack of conformity to or a transgression of God's law. So you can miss the mark in two ways. The first one is a lack of conformity. In other words, there are things that God commands us to do in a positive way, and if we do not do them, we're not conforming to it, then we are omitting and not doing something that God has commanded us to do. So there are positive commands. All the commands in the Bible are not just negative. So when your mom and dad say to you, children, go clean your room, I would like you to clean your room, you, you have a positive command. If you don't do that, you omit doing that, then you are not conforming to the wishes of your parent. And we can sin sometimes because we fail to do what God has called us to do. Remember, Adam and Eve, they were in the garden. They were told that they were to multiply and replenish and fill the earth and subdue the earth and have dominion. That's a a positive command. And so there are things that God commands us to do in a positive way. So children... It says, honor your father and your mother. It's a positive command. So you are to honor your father and mother. Paul says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your strength. Do whatever you do to the glory of God, whether you eat or drink. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. These are positive commands. And if we do not do them, We are not conforming to the law of God, and we are omitting, and we are sinning thereby. And Jesus sums up the whole duty of man in two simple, well, simple, uh, simple to at least understand, but to do it is another thing. Two commands. You shall positively what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your might. And the second is you shall love your neighbor how? Even as you love yourself. We do love ourselves, don't we? 
but we don't always treat our neighbor that way. So these are positive commands. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Or Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So those are positive commands, and we can sin by not, by omitting those, not conforming to that law of God. The second way that we can sin is the transgression of God's law, sins of commission. To transgress means to step over and cross over a line. And and we can think of negative commands. You're not to do this, but we step over the line and we do what God has commanded us not to do. So mom and dad may say to you, children, you're not to get into the cookie jar before dinner. We'll have cookies at dinner, but you're not to get into the cookie jar before dinner. So stay out of the cookies, all right? Now, if you disobey and you miss the mark, you take a cookie, you're going and transgressing against something that they've commanded you not to do. And so it is this idea, again, of transgressing. So Adam and Eve were positively, they were to have dominion over this beautiful world that God had made for them, but there was a negative command, wasn't there? of the tree that I've placed in the middle of the garden, the tree of knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil, you are not to eat of that tree. And God is a God who puts fences around us and says there are things that you are to do, but there are things that you're not to do. You're not to go outside the boundary. And we have many of these, don't we? We are told in the Ten Commandments, you're to have no other gods before me. You're to make no graven images You're not to take the name of the Lord your God in a vain way, in a light and a trivial way. It's not just using the the name of God as a cuss word or in in that way, but having trivial thoughts of God, speaking lightly of God, not revering God as we ought. You're not to kill. You're not to steal. You're not to bear false witness. You're not to lie. You're not to sin with your tongue and say things with your tongue that are against the law of God. You are not to covet. The last commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his ox or his John Deere. You you are to be content. You're not to grumble and be discontented and complain, but to be contented and not covetous. Your heart full of covetousness. This is to transgress. This is to go against the law of God. And so what God requires of us is that the cup must be empty of, of sin. But it also must be full of righteousness. All right? So as we think of a cup, if we are to be the kind of person that God has called us to be or we were designed and created to be, That cup must be empty of sin and transgression, but it also must be full of positively having done what God has commanded us to do. This is what it would mean to love God with all of our heart and to love our neighbor as ourself 24-7. But we recognize that that's not true of us. We have not done that. If you think about heaven being like 
if we could use an illustration maybe of going to heaven, if, you, if you're going to get to heaven on who you are and what you've done, it'd be like considering how you drive, your driving record. How many of us could say, I have a perfect driving record? I've never run over anybody. I always keep the speed limit. And I've always yielded at the right places, and I've dimmed my lights at the appropriate times. Is there anyone who could say, based on my record of driving, it's like my life, I would go to heaven based upon that? I don't, well, I wouldn't be able to say that. And I dare say any of us here could either. And what we find is, the Bible says to us, that we have all missed the mark. We have all fallen short. The Bible is true. There is none righteous, no, not one. Not only is our cup not full of righteousness, perfect righteousness, but it is full of sin, iniquity, and transgression, whereby we have sinned against God. In that prayer that we prayed from the book of Common Prayers, I've always appreciated this line. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And Paul, as heaven's prosecutor, says that all of us fall short of the glory of God There is none righteous, no, not one. We begin to feel, don't we, the weight of the bad news of what the Bible has to say about our heart, about the human condition. But secondly, this morning, I want to kind of expand that bad news. And we want to see, first of all, that sin has affected the whole of humanity. This is... When we're talking about people that miss the mark, it's not just the people we're seeing on the news at night. It's all of us. It's all of us. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. When Adam fell, we fell in him. Romans 5, 12 is clear about that. For by one man, sin has entered into our world and death by sin. And death has passed to all men for all have sinned. We were, we were piggybacked on the back of Adam. He was our representative. When he fell, we fell. What has been communicated to us as his posterity is that we were born into this world as sinners. Again, from Psalm 51, David said this, that in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, I I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 58 says that, From the womb, we go astray telling lies. (laughs) None of us had to teach our children how to lie. That comes pretty naturally to us, doesn't it? Pride is pretty natural to us. Sin is natural to us. And so when we think about sin, it is something that all of humanity is guilty of and participates in. But secondly, we see that sin has affected the whole person. There's no little island within the descendants of Adam that that are righteous, that are holy. Sin has affected the whole of our being, all of our faculties. 
It has affected our heart, which we might say is the control center of all that we do. And so Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things, and it is desperately wicked. That's what the Bible says about us, about our heart, left to ourselves. Our heart is desperately wicked. It may be hard for us to swallow, but this is the testimony of the word of God. Jesus said that it is out of the heart. It's out of the heart that proceed evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and fornications and thefts and false witness and blasphemies. This comes from within us, not from outside of us, to greater or lesser degrees. And so this refers to our heart. And also our mind, which is closely associated with that. Romans 1 tells us that as fallen sons of Adam, we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We want to live our life for ourselves, and we suppress truth that is all around us in this universe that tells us about a God, and, and he is a God of power. And, and we suppress truth, and we go our own way. Paul says in Romans 8, 6, the carnal mind has enmity towards God. Our minds have enmity towards the true and the living God. Now, men and women will have religion. They'll have a God. But there will be enmity against the true and the living God. 1 Corinthians 2, 14, the natural man, the son of Adam, he is one who does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. They're foolishness to him. And nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, man still has a mind, and we can put a man on the moon. We can do amazing things. But when it comes to spiritual realities, there's enmity in the heart and the mind and the gospel and all these things concerning our own state. It's foolishness. It is something that is rejected. Our affections have been affected as a result of sin and the fall. We love the things that we should not love. We do not love God left to ourselves. We do not love God with all of our heart. We do not love our neighbors, ourselves. Jesus said in, says in John 3 that Jesus came as a light into this world. Here's this light. And And men, rather than being attracted to this light, they hate the light and they will not come to the light because their deeds are evil. There's enmity, there's hatred towards the light. They want to go on living their life left to themselves and fulfilling their own desires. And so even our affections have been affected by sin and by the fall. And I think we all know that. We know that within us there is the love to want to be the boss. We want to call the shots in our life. We want to do what we want to do. We don't want to bow the knee to an almighty sovereign God. We want to do what we want to do. And as a result of all these things, even the will is effective. Even the will of man is in bondage. Jesus said, no one can come unto me except the Father who sent me draws him. Left to ourselves, we would never come to Christ. There's enmity in our hearts. Why would we go to someone that we hate? And so there is this enmity that 
manifest itself even in our will. And so Isaiah describes fallen men as from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, there is no soundness within us. We are sinners from top bottom. And then we see that sin has serious consequences. Turn, if you will, to Psalm 130. Always appreciated this psalm, and it expresses, I hope, our hearts here today. I know it does mine, but here we see the psalmist speaking very plainly to us. We know that God knows all of our sins. If we have any sense about ourselves, we recognize that we have sinned. And here is the psalmist in verse 3 making this statement. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Lord, if you should make me to give an account of my iniquities, my sins, where I have fallen short, where I have missed the mark, not just today, but yesterday, and all the days past. If I should stand in your presence and I should have to give an account of my sins, sins of omission, sins of commission, where I have spoken in ways that are inappropriate, my sexual sins, my lust, my greed, my selfishness, my fighting, my disobedience against God and against others, the sins of my youth. You know, a lot of people talk about the sins of their youth as if, you know, I I was foolish and dumb back then, as if time absolves them from their guilt. It doesn't. Time does not absolve us from the sins of our youth. And the psalmist says, Lord, if you would make me to stand before you and give an account and you would mark out my iniquities, I could not stand before you. Who could stand before you? He's expecting a negative answer. No one could stand before you, O God. If you kept a record of my sins, I could not stand before you. And that's true of all of us. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. In Revelation, we're given account of the day in which The judge of all the earth is going to come. And there is going to be a judgment, the gray white throne. And in that day, the ungodly, the unconverted, those who are not joined to Christ, are going to fear in that day. And it says they will hide themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Do you think you can stand in your own self in the last day of the great and terrible judgment of the Lord to give an account of yourself on that day? 
Who can stand in that day? There is no one that will be able to stand in themselves and be accepted and approved of God. It will only mean certain judgment. We see further our problem is that sin is a problem that we can't fix. You and I cannot fix our sin problem. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Can an Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Of course not. For neither can you do good who are accustomed to do evil. You see, we have a problem, don't we? A heart problem. And we have all sinned. And Proverbs 20 verse 9 says this. Who can say, I have made my heart clean. I have made my heart clean. I am pure from my sin. Can anyone say that? That I'm able to deal with this sin problem. I'm able to fix this. I'm able to make my heart clean. Now Isaiah 40, uh, 64, 6 says that even what we think is our own righteousness is as filthy rags. What we think is good, and, and people do, do good things to other people, but it is not pleasing to God. It does not, it does not cover their sin. Because they're not doing it out of glory and honor to God, a heart of faith and trusting in Christ, but they're doing it for other reasons. We can't fix our sin problem. I read this week somebody sent me an email, and it was some advice from Arnold Palmer, who is a well-known golfer uh, years ago. And everybody's always, if you're a golfer, you're always looking ways to improve your score. Here was his Here was his tip. He said, I have a tip that can take five strokes off of anyone's game. Now, who wouldn't like that? Here's here's what his advice was. It's called an eraser. (laughs) And if you've golfed, you know that when you get your pencil to keep score, there's never an eraser on it. Just erase the score and, you know, make it better. Instead of a double bogey, triple bogey, just make it a birdie or, you know. Well, you know you can't do that in golf. And you can't do it in this more important area of our sin. You cannot erase your sin. You cannot fix your sin problem. There is no eraser for you. And so we see the bad news, don't we? That all have sinned. And all have come short of the glory of God. I want to ask you a question as you sit here this morning. Have you thought about this question? What is the greatest problem? What is the greatest problem that any man, woman, young or old could ever confront? What do you think about as one of the biggest problems that you maybe fear or afraid of? This is the biggest problem that anyone could ever deal with and confront. The problem of our sin. This is 9-11. We remember 9-11. We remember the towers going down. and We can have a lot of fear about enemies from without. We can have fear about enemies from within. We can have fears about physical needs, financial needs. But this is 
the biggest problem that we will ever confront. And it is the issue of our sin. This is the bad news. And this is what leads us to come to see and to understand why the gospel is good news. It is good news. This bad news magnifies the gospel because it is the gospel of grace. The gospel is saturated with the grace of God. And we notice here in Psalm 130, verse 4, it goes on to say, Who could stand before you, Lord? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Aren't you thankful for that but? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Where is this forgiveness found? Well, the whole Bible is pointing us to Christ. It is pointing us to Christ. Paul says this is a trustworthy statement and it's worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save what? Sinners. If you come to understand the bad news, this is gloriously beautiful, good news. Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners. Salvation is found in him. Forgiveness is found in him. How wonderful it was as Jesus was in this world and as he ministered and as he would come into a town when the blind and the lepers and the lame would hear that the healer was in town, they would flock to him. Why? They were in a bad place and they heard about this one that could heal. This was good news. But also sinners fled to him. They recognized they had a great need. Remember the woman as there was a party that was thrown for Jesus in his honor and here's this woman who comes from the outside and she comes into this party uninvited and she comes with her most expensive perfume and she pours it on his feet. She washes his feet with her tears and her hair and she pours this very expensive perfume Upon him. And the crowd was indignant. The Pharisees were indignant. If you were a prophet, you would know who this woman was. She is a sinner. She's a a great sinner. And Jesus tells a story. He said, if there were two debtors and one had a debt that was a huge debt and another had a smaller debt and they were both forgiven, which one do you think would love more? And the answer was, it was the woman or it was the person who was forgiven this great, great debt. And so it is with this woman. This woman who loves much has been forgiven much. When we come to understand the bad news, what Christ has done, it magnifies the gospel. It magnifies the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. This one took that cup of iniquity that was full, our cup, and at the cross, he drank that cup. And he gives to us his cup of perfect righteousness to everyone who believes on him. This is what we'll be looking at in the weeks to come, the beauty of the 
the work of Christ, what he did on that cross to save us from the bad news of our sin. As we close this morning, may I say, if you're here today, and this is one of my desires as we go through this series, that if you're here without Christ and you've never come, you've never come to face soberly the reality of what the Bible says about your own heart and about your own sin, it's our desire that you would flee to Christ. He is the one who says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laid, and I will give you rest. He is the one who is able to forgive our sins, not in part, but the whole, and to give us eternal life. It's found in him. And so Paul says, for by grace we are saved through faith, and not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, and not of works, not of anything that we do, but it's all of his grace. And I would point you to him today. Flee to Jesus and call upon him. He is the Savior, and he is the friend of sinners. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the honesty of your word that reveals to us our heart, shows us the bad news. And Lord, we are so thankful it doesn't leave us there points us to Christ, the Savior of sinners. For any here that know not Christ, may even this be the day that they call upon him, that they would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might be saved. If we be a believer, Lord, may we see that we have been forgiven much. It may enable us that we may love much. That with all of our heart, we would love and serve you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to take your hymn book and turn, if you will, to 201, number 201. And let's stand together as we sing.